We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. We're here. I wish I could keep this feeling. I wish I could keep this feeling. All right, what up, everyone? Welcome to another episode of the Corner Podcast. Kel Dansby here, flying solo this week. The old man Andreas Hale is in Disneyland. That's right. He told you guys last week he was going to try to record the show, but he extended his stay for an extra day. He was in Disneyland today, chilling, taking pictures with Goofy, brunching it up, because you know he's a brunch god, and I couldn't pry him away from the happiest place on earth. So... I'm going to let Dre chill out there, enjoy family time. He's having a great time. He has a busy weekend lined up with a couple of boxing interviews. There's UFC this weekend that I'm sure he has to write about. I'm going to be doing the same, plus SummerSlam and the WWE is coming up, which means you know we have NXT and the finals of New Japan Pro Wrestling. So it's a crazy, crazy weekend for combat sports. We are going to be swamped. I'm letting him enjoy that little bit of vacation, but that means... That you get all me this week. I know, I know. You guys are excited. So I'm going to let you guys bask in the greatness that is the hot take god myself. This week, we're not going to start off with crazy hot takes. We might get there in a second due to uh, a topic I saw online that I'm pretty sure all you guys saw on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, wherever you're doing social media. It was one of the hottest topics this week. So... We'll get to that in a little while, but I'd be remiss if I didn't start by saying just a huge, huge amount of prayers going out to everyone affected by the two mass shootings, one in Dayton, Ohio, not Toledo, and then the other one in El Paso, uh, both just horrible events, 
way too many mass shootings. This shit happens way too much in our culture. Uh, you know, Dre talks about it every week and how important it is for us to let our voices be known and to have minority voices in these spaces to speak up and give our point of view on these things. And I see a lot of people and they're going back and forth trying to defend was race involved in this, the El Paso shooting, you know, it comes out that the shooter wrote a note that he was uh, kind of sick of the immigration and all of the quote-unquote immigrants coming over to the United States from Mexico. He went on a tirade because of that. We've just reached a fever pitch in our culture where enough is enough. It is bad enough that we have a president going out there two days after these shootings making fun of uh, Beto's first name, saying it's a nickname to make him look more Hispanic. Listen, no one knows anyone else's reasons behind anything. He explained that that's a family name. That's what he goes by. So you respect that. Some people have no respect. So I'm not going to dwell on the actions of the idiots, but I will say that there's positive change that should have happened a long time ago, that needs to happen now, because every new mass shooting is one too many mass shootings. And I will tell you guys, first and foremost, I've never even shot a gun in my life. I'm from New York, I'm from the Bronx, I've seen way too many people shot, I've been in the parks, people shooting, dodging bullets, uh, out here in Vegas, Sunset Park, Puerto Rican Day Festival, one year I was dodging bullets, running through people shooting across the pond. Like, guns have never been fun to me. Like, I play video games. I want to shoot something, I'll, I'll, I'll get duck hunt. I'll play Halo. Like, that's that shooting that I can tolerate. Real-life guns, gun range, it's not for me. But I know a lot of friends who are into it, a lot of friends who are gun owners, responsible gun owners, ex-military or just gun aficionados. Like, I know people who go to gun ranges. Who have the little, you know, the guns in their closet in the safe, locked away. People who do it the right way. I'm all for getting more people like that, that do it the right way. But my question, and a question I put online, and a question I want to ask to all you guys listening, is I'm, I'm at a loss for words or a loss for reasoning as to why people need Call of Duty Level 3 style guns and weaponry. I, I don't understand that. Like, I am all for people protecting their family. I'm all for people having the right to bear arms or have their gun and, and be trained in how to do so and go to shooting ranges. And if someone tries to pop off on you, you know what? You can protect yourself. But everyone doesn't need to be in the matrix. You don't need an AK-47. What If you can't protect yourself with 16 bullets from a Magnum or a Glock, I'm just going to say you're not going to protect yourself with anything. Like, if, if you can't get it done with that, then you know what, my man? You just got to take the L. I, I don't understand why people have to have these automatic automatic weapons that we see in a lot of these mass shootings. We don't see too many people going in there with, you know, just eight different type of pistols. You know, they're not going straight Lara Croft Tomb Raider style, just, you know, unloading a clip, throwing those guns away, taking two out from the holsters going again. Like, we don't see that. We see people like this guy, and I believe it was the Dayton shooting, who went outside to a nightclub at night and had a 100 rounds loaded in the bottom of his automatic weapon. Like, it, it's ridiculous that those things are even being sold. 
So to that, I ask, why? What is the the purpose of being able to buy these type of weapons? Why do people feel the need to have these be legalized? Do they make you or them or regardless, you're not wrong or whatever side you're on. But how does that make you feel safer? And if the point comes that all of those are illegal, when do you feel that a handgun isn't enough? Because the majority of time, I would guess in my mind, it'd be handgun versus handgun. But then people would say, oh, the criminals, the criminals will have bigger and badder weapons. We need bigger and badder weapons. No, the criminals get what they can get their hands on. So if you have something in your home, that's what they're going to have. I know people who did a lot of illegal shit on the streets. And I'm not saying this to brag or glorify their life. It's, it's messed up. I wish I didn't know people who did that. I wish people I didn't grow up with didn't go astray. But some did. And people who did home invasions and do all this dumb shit, that's how they get a lot of these guns. They run up in people's cribs and they steal. And guns sell for a lot on the streets. People think they're going to your crib to steal TVs, laptops, and jewelry. No, they're going to steal these guns. Because other criminals buy guns. And guns go for a lot of money. And they can only steal what you have purchased legally. So the recycling of guns and these guys who have AK-47s and these rap videos and all these little young knuckleheads and you got people running around like Takashi, flashing guns in videos. They're not going and buying these. They're stealing them for people who can legally buy them. So how about we limit what people can legally buy? And in the news, I feel like I've covered like way too many of these mass shootings. And the majority that I can remember aren't even illegal guns. These are guns purchased by family members, but in these cases, by the people themselves, legally. For what? You want to shoot these? You know what, my man? Go to a gun range. Go to a place who can secure these weapons, who can loan them to you to go in there. You shoot your little target. You know, you use the snipey. You use the shoddy. You Whatever other guns you can, you can dream of from wherever you feel this itch deep down inside for you to shoot something. You go to a place that is licensed. They lend it to you for an hour. You shoot, your, shoot into your heart's content. And then you go home. But outside of that, I, I'll never understand the need for major artillery and weaponry. Like, it, it makes no sense in my, in my mind. But I'm open to listen. I'm open to the people who own these to say, why is it okay for them to be legal? Why do you need those? Because trust me, when people were writing the Constitution, and it was like 1780, and... People were going through and determining the rights of others, future generations in this country. They did not have a hundred capacity machine gun for purchase. They had a musket. They had something you could shoot, reload, gunpowder, cock it back, shoot, reload, gunpowder. It was taking them 10 minutes to do three shots. You had to put a bayonet on the front. You had to enter a gunfight with a knife to have extra ammo. That's how crazy slow it was. You can actually kill someone with a knife in a gunfight when these laws were written. So do not tell me that these laws are to make sure you can have a sniper that has elephant piercing bullets 
or a machine gun that allows you to shoot 80 bullets in two minutes. That's not what these laws were made for when they were made. So that argument's a crock of shit. It, it just really is. So I'm wondering, with the evolution of this, what is the purpose necessary? Because when this shit really goes halo, when we go 80 years from now, 100 years from now, and our kids' kids are in the middle of school shootings or mass shootings, God forbid, but if it's happening and they're getting hit with plasma guns and plasma rifles, fucking sticky grenades, not to make a joke out of this, but on the real, like when weaponry keeps going, where's the line to where is it legal to have this in your home and where is it necessary? So that's one thing I've seen all week and that shit just has me boggled. And the podcast is our space to talk about this. And Dre's not here for me to bounce stuff off of. So I'm asking you guys. I'm asking you to think. I'm asking you to see how you feel about it. Because, yes, all guns aren't bad. Guns, when people say guns don't kill people, fine. But idiots with guns kill people. So how about we make sure that the idiots can't get their hands so easily on these weapons? Because there's some people who are very responsible gun owners, and they deserve to be able to protect themselves. It is a luxury. You have to prove capable and sensible enough to own these guns. And that's all people are asking. Not to take away all guns. Prove yourself capable, and then you can use it. No different than you have to be capable to be in the army. You have to be capable to be a Marine. You have to be capable to be a police officer. All of these other people with these crazy, eccentric-ass weapons go through training. They go through courses. They go through life scenarios on when and how to use these things. But yet we're saying you can turn 18 and you can go over the counter and buy this shit with zero training. I don't understand it. So that's that's something I want to talk about first because that really, it put a damper on this whole week and it's something we can't ignore. And I'm not going to focus on the Trump shit. We talk about him way too often. We give him way too much credence. Uh, we're going to have to talk about him way too much already later in the show when I talk about Kobe Covington and some of the dumb shit he said this week and the persona to the point of his Trump gimmick eclipses a lot of what he does in the octagon in the UFC, and how great of a fighter he is. But we got to open this show, and the first thing I'm going to talk about in the MMA segment is Kobe Covington inviting the Trump's cage side and his dumb antics that he thinks is selling. Whether it was his post-fight interview, joking about the train, hitting a UFC legend, or if it's him verbally going after Misha Tate on her show, co-hosted by friend of the podcast, Ryan McKinnell, and Big Mac just let his ass have it. Hit him with the ether. So Kobe thinks he's bigger than he is, and it's part of that persona. So we're we're gonna talk about more of that later. So I don't I don't really want to spend my time, the time I have here by myself, dwelling on those aspects of the conversation. One thing I wanted to talk about, moving you know away from the very serious topic that we opened up the show with, is this top fifty rappers list that has gone around. And that has gone viral. So earlier in the week, 
another podcast. I'm trying to find the name of this podcast. That's also a huge problem with this list, right? So let's just be real. This list came out for clout. There's no other way to to deduce how the hell they put these names on this list because it's not of okay, this is my opinion. These are my top 50 favorite rappers of all time. No, they say these are the top 50 greatest rappers of all time, period. Now let's discuss. And they got ripped for it. It's it's a hot take, so hot. I won't even get next to it. I, let alone touch, I won't even get next to it. Because they had to put this list out with no other reason but to get their name out there. The sad fact is, is I'm looking at the list right now as we're doing this show, and they just cropped them out. I don't even know the name of the podcast. I can't even give them a shout out if I wanted to. Lesson learned, kiddos, you put out a list like this, watermark it. Put a logo in the background. Put your name somewhere on it. They did none of those things. So to whoever's podcast put out this list, it is one of the worst lists I've ever seen on social media. But it was a talking point, so let's dive in it. We're going to go, we're just going one through, what, five right now? One through five. Jay-Z, Nas, not a bad start. We can see how people do that. I mean, there's names obviously missing already in the first two, but we'll move on. Three is Joe Budden. Four is Styles P. Five is Black Thought. Now let's get into it. Just, just that quick. You'll be hard-pressed to find a bigger Joe Budden fan than me. I, well, here in a quick second, I don't have it yet because I've been super busy with this podcast and other media obligations. But it's my plan. My next tattoo will be Joe Budden lyrics. I have Royce the 5'9 lyrics already tattooed on me. I'm going to get a Lupe giant portrait on my ribs with Lupe lyrics. So I have no problem tattooing the... My favorite rappers and some of their best quotes on my body to live forever. That being said, I can say that they're my favorite rappers. Joe Bunyan is in my fave top five rappers. And that's just off of what I constantly play, how I relate to his music. It's gotten me through tough times. So it holds a special uh, a special purpose in my life. When I was going through a divorce, I could relate. There's a song for that. When I was, man, I remember when I left Kansas City, came back to Vegas, my girlfriend at the time flew me back out here. Crazy story, I told on the podcast before, but somehow before I was officially separated in my marriage, I already had a girlfriend. So she flew me back out to Vegas. She took me to a Joe Budden concert because she knew how much I liked Joe Budden. And to get my mind off of things and leaving my wife, she took me to Joe Budden concert in LA, drove me there. And my wife blew up my phone to the point where I turned it off. And then she did some roundabout weird stalker shit online. Got my girlfriend's number and blew up her phone. In which to the point I answered it, put it on speaker. And Joe Budden was invited Tank to the stage and played She Don't Put It Down Like You. It was his first time playing it. And then he played Black Cloud. And I had her on speaker. Off to the Races was playing, in which there's a verse on Off to the Races is way too close to my life. If you guys aren't a Joe Budden fan, please go out there and listen, because you're going to think I'm crazy, but he has great music, especially great breakup music, and that's what I was into. I was in my emo phase. So Joe Budden holds a special part in my heart. 
All that being said, he's still not number three on my objective best rappers all-time list. I would find it hard to be able to put Joey in my top 30 greatest rappers of all time list. He'd be in my top 50 because I know his catalog better than I know a lot of other people's catalogs. And I could defend it and I could justify putting him in my top 50. But top top 30, uh, you're getting rough. People got resumes. Top five? Joey, Joey's mom isn't putting him in the top five best rappers alive. I say that with all due respect. Joey's not putting himself in the top five best rappers alive. He's not in his top five list, I don't think. If you ask him to be honest, I don't listen to his podcast, but he probably talks about it on that. He'll be honest. I don't think he's in his own top five. I think he puts M. Royce, J. Definitely puts Redman above him. Biggie. Nas. Like... You, there's so many names I think Joey would put ahead of him. So let's get back to it. Joe Bunning at three is ludicrous, so we're throwing that out. Styles P at four. I'm a huge SP fan as well. I grew up, my uncle was head of promotions at Bad Boy, left that, went to Rough Riders as head of promotions, and then went and helped the lock start D-Block when they separated on their own record label. If you guys are listening, you guys from New York, or if you know the times, you're in the business, Super Mario. That's his name. He's my uncle. He has mixtapes out, blah, blah, blah. He's been with them, and he was friends with them for a great uh, amount of time. Still friends with them uh, until he left to start his management company now. But growing up, I was always in the studio. From when I was a little whippersnapper at five in Uptown Records to Bad Boy to whatever. I've seen Jason. I've seen David. If people don't know, David is Styles P's real name. I've seen these people. I took ass whoopings for them in NBA Live. It was before 2K was hot. We played NBA Live. And they were beating me by 20, 25. And I've been in the studio till 4 a.m. when they're, you know, drinking and laying verses. And Poobs is on the boards. Vinny Idol was on the beats. I know all of this. Styles P isn't in my top five. And SP is super underrated. He probably deserves to be somewhere on this top 50 list. If you put all the locks together as a group, then they're top 30. But yeah, I mean, top five, come on, that's preference. Then we go Fab at six, Jada at seven. Okay, whoever made this list, you guys are from NY. I'm from NY too. Listen, man, I love the best of Lloyd Banks. I liked 50 at a time, but they're not making these lists either. Like, the the bias on this list is just ridiculous. And it's made by someone who only listened to rap heavy, like 2000 through 2010. Because there's no other way that you put these people on your top 10 if you listen to any genre outside of that. So then we go Biggie at 8, Blasphemy. Ghostface at 9, I like Ghost. He's not in my top 10, but I can see it. Kendrick at 10. Strong top 10 list. Strong finish, excuse me, to the top 10 list. Completely wrong. So let me tell you, in my opinion, and Dre's would be different, and I'll try to corner Dre, and and me and him will talk about this on a Patreon episode together, because he's Mr. Music Man, you know, many years in the industry, well-respected. He has a great ear, and he'll give a completely different top 10 than me. But I'm sure a, a couple of our names, if not the majority of them, would be the same. 
So my top 10 list. In in order, but I'm sure I'll mess something up. Jay-Z, one. Biggie, two. Then you give me Nas, three. Because Illmatic's my favorite album ever, and early Nas was just untouchable. What he did at 19 is just bonkers. You give me Eminem. So that should be four. Black Thought, I think, deserves to be in the top five. Kendrick, six. He's probably ahead of Black Thought, but I'm going, I'm reading off of their list. Now it's kind of out of order. Kendrick, six. Naturally talented rappers, he's up there. Talented rappers ever. You give me Lupe at seven. Again, naturally talented rappers. I mean, you can't find me, or you'll be hard-pressed to find me a song better than Lupe Fiasco's Mural. Mural is eight minutes of lyrical genius on on a whole different level. On, On stuff where you can dissect this in Harvard, and it stands up to some of the best quality ever. Not hip hop, not just music. I'm talking written word ever, how he manipulates words and puts them together. So Lupe's on there. I think he was at seven. You give me Rakim at eight. Then I'll take, ooh, this is where it gets dicey. I'll take, man, I don't KRS one at nine. KRS one didn't even make this person's top fifty greatest rappers all time list. He's nowhere on this list. Mace made the list. KRS one did not. Ridiculous. Then you give me, and ten is a split. Ten and eleven. I gotta put them both in there. Yeah, I'm cheating the list. Big pun. Big L. And that's just because their their reigns were short. Big Pun, Big L, 10, 11. So Jay-Z, Nas, Big, Lupe, Black Thought, Kendrick, Big Pun, Big L, Rakim. I think that's every, Lupe Fiasco. That's like my 10 through 11. That's my list. After that, you get into the Tupacs, you get into Andre 3K, you get into Lil Wayne, well, you get into Ice Cube, who has to be up there, you gotta get into, ah, man, there's, there's a couple other people I feel like, like I'm missing, but that, they go right after that, Scarface. Younger kid in this generation as well. J. Cole is moving himself up the list. So you, you got some names. You got some people who deserve, who deserve to be in there. This list is ludicrous that they have, though. Going through, they have Redman at 14. Pusha T is ahead of Redman. Beanie Siegel comes in at 11. Yo, Beanie Mac is dope. He ain't 11. Comment at 18, cool. Royce to 5'9 would be in my top 20. He's at 21 on this list. Great. I'm a huge Royce to 5'9 stand. So that's cool. Drake at 23. I'm not even sure where I, I rate Drake. To be honest, I, I don't know. Some people have Drake in their top 10. And I, I can see it, but not as a lyricist, not as an overall rapper. And I like Drake. He Top 20? 
Because his longevity, his career is at the top of the game, maybe. Maybe top 20, top 30. I'll give Drake. And then they have T.I., Raekwon. Raekwon, the chef, is a little low. Uh, Twister, Method Man. Eminem's 28 on their list. Eminem outside of the top 10 is blasphemy. He's someone's, he's some most people's number one. A lot of people have him at number one. Prime Eminem, 96 through 2001, 2002, is untouchable. That guy is a monster. So he's up there. Most Def is 30th on their list. Big Boy comes in at 32. Big Boy slept on. Cameron, to me, I love Cam. I could put Cam in the top 25. People look at me crazy. I put Cam up there. Cam got joints. Killer Mike's at 38. You look what he did in his career. This is where they started going off the rails. Stack Bundles is 42. Yo, RIP to Stack. The Gorgeous Gangster was dope. He's not in the top 50 rappers of all time. Big Pun is 44. What are we doing here? 50 Cent, 48. Buster, 49. Lloyd Banks, 50. This is someone who's never stepped, never stepped foot outside of New York or the tri-state area. Because there's so many dope artists that they missed. And Drake can go even deeper with the super dope artists. You talk about Lil Brother all the time. Guru probably deserves a spot. Like, there's so many dope artists out there. Prodigy had his run. Early Mob D, Prodigy? Come on. H-N-I-C is so dope. So you look at a lot of these things, this list is flawed. Down South don't get enough mentions in this list. Outside of just Outkast. I mean, man, it is crazy. If you guys haven't seen it, top 50 greatest rappers of all time list. Um, again, we'll, we'll throw it up on our Patreon and we'll put in a free portion so everyone can see it. It's an easy way. The Corner Podcast on Patreon. If you guys want to go there, we can have a discussion underneath. What I want from you guys, I want to. I don't need your whole top 50, but I gave you my top 10, you know, 10A and 10B. I want to see you guys' top 10. I'll put it up on Patreon, like I said, for free. It'll be on the free section. You guys stop by our Patreon. Let's have a discussion under the post. I want to see who you guys' top 10 is and let us talk about some hip-hop. So this is going to be up on Patreon sometime tonight, right when this show posted, post, and uh, we'll get to talking about that. But their list, their list is bonk. Yeah, they got to throw their whole list away. Throw the whole podcast away. I don't even know what podcast it is. You got to throw their whole podcast away. I sent this to my pops, who you guys have heard on this show or on our Patreon episodes. He laughed at me. I was like, yo, pops, you want to come on the show this week and talk to me about this list? He was like, I won't even talk about that trash. It doesn't even deserve a mention. And then we got into some wild, old school, 80s, 90s discussion of hip hop. And why this, this, we even bounced off of the list because the list was laughable. The names left off the list are laughable. KRS one day I make a list of top 50 rappers of all time? Yeah, they're, they're bugging. And if they are from New York, whoever made this list in the podcast, be ashamed of yourself. You're not even good New York hip-hop fans if you leave KRS-One off your list. So that that was bananas. Um, man, I go all day on this list. And this is, wait until Dre hops on it. It's going to be even crazier. The other thing is, is I sat back and I was like, yo, should we do a top 50 wrestlers list? I see, I saw a couple other podcasts try their hand at it. 
50 is a lot. But I was thinking, I was like, you know what? I think me and Dre can figure it out. And I was like, you know what? That's, that's two people's opinion. I was like, I wonder if I get the whole reverse rap pack and we can go in our group chat and we hash it out. And I make, and I, you know, put it together with a dope graphic and we have the reverse rap pack top 50 wrestlers of all time. So I'm going to try to, that's my goal for this week. I'm going to try to corner us all together in our group chat. Uh, Ryan McKinnell, Marcus Vanderberg, Danny Acosta, man, everyone, Anthony Springer. Uh, yeah, everyone on group chat, I hope I'm not, Justin Ivey, everybody in there. Reverse Rat Pack, top 50, and we have so much different taste. That's going to be crazy, but I think we can narrow it down to 50 and kind of put people in the right brackets, the right areas, and get a good list together. And I'm going to put a little graphic on it, I'm going to post it. So there might be other top 50 wrestler lists out there, but we're going to put out a good one, not one for clout. Not a stupid top 50 list to just get people going and talking about nonsense. We're going to put out a legit top 50 list. And we're going to go at it. And we're going to see what people think. So that's my goal for this next week, to corner everyone and get that done. Um, real quick, I was going to take a break. You know what? No break. No sponsor. This Dre isn't here. I'm taking over the podcast. I'm hijacking it. We're going to just keep going. We're going to keep rolling through. Combat sports, because that's what we do here. So combat sports, it is a crazy week. Like I said, to start off the show, I'm going to start by talking about WWE and pro wrestling. We started with pro wrestling last week, and I figure, you know what? It's not bad to just get it out the way this week. Started off with pro wrestling, and it's honestly, it's the biggest thing happening this week in combat sports because we have the finals of the G1, <clears throat> excuse me, in New Japan. And it's something we've been talking about for, what, a month now? And how great it's going in the performances. So we'll know who finishes that up by the time our next show is going. We'll know who will be main eventing at Wrestle Kingdom. So that's going to be exciting. There's going to be a lot of uh, spinoffs from that in terms of feuds. So that'll be great. And, of course, it's SummerSlam weekend. So with SummerSlam weekend comes NXT Toronto. And, and SummerSlam itself, 2019, which is in Toronto. So, Dre's not here to make his predictions. That means my predictions are the only one that matter. I love doing this. Dre's, listen, you can tell Dre when you guys talk to him or hear him up on Twitter, no goddamn it kill movement moments so far in this show. Priding myself on that. Holding it down with logic this week. Uh, let's go through the card, though. So... NXT TakeOver Toronto starts off Candice LeRae versus Io Shirai. Evil Io Shirai, all black, kind of the Mad Queen gimmick. Super dope. I like what they're doing with her. To me, though, Candice LeRae has to be positioned, I've been saying this for months, to be the one to finally stop Shayna Baszler. Shayna's on this almost unbeatable run. She's beaten so many people clean, made them tap out, the best of the best in NXT. Bianca Belair. Kari Sane, Io Shirai herself. So many people have gone down during Shayna Baszler's reign. And now it's time to say, okay, who's the perfect person to hand her over to? She's the ultimate heel who's the perfect babyface. And it's always been Candice LeRae. It's always been Mrs. Wrestling. So they brought her around super slow. She was 
really involved in the Gargano Ciampa feud. She even wrestled for a period of time. Now we're starting to see her in the ring, and this is this is a huge showcase because this keeps Matt Riddle off the card, who is a huge star. Keith Lee off the card. There, there's a lot of talented men and or tag teams off of the card to fit this woman's feud in there, and it's deserving. So Candice LeRae versus Ir Shirai, I expect them to put on a show to open up this card. Candice LeRae, one of the best women wrestlers in the world. Ir Shirai, arguably the best women's wrestler in the world. Uh, and people haven't seen it, really. She hasn't been given that platform like she did in Shimmer. This is her first time. They're going to let her go. They're going to take the cuffs off. A one-on-one match. Her and Candice LeRae. I expect Gargano levels uh, of greatness out of this match. Like, five-star women's match. They're going to get time, 15, 20 minutes. Let's do it. So, Candice Ray picks up the victory, but I expect an instant classic. Probably one of the best women's matches we've ever seen. This is, this is the level I'm already holding it up to. Because it's NXT, because it's TakeOver, and because their talent level, I expect them to just blow the doors off of it and to say, you know what? Follow that. So, I believe they can do it. Uh, the second match after that will probably be the tag team match. Tag team championships. Street Profits, champions Angelo Dawkins, Montez Ford versus Undisputed Era, Kyle Riley, Bobby Fish. Uh, it's going to be a great match as well. Street Profits really stepped it up. But they're on Raw all the time now. They're on Raw every week. We're going to have that, what I expect to be a draft and split rosters again. Seems to be a little more attention given to the tag team divisions. That being said, SmackDown is a little thin. They're on Raw a lot, but I and I can see the entertainment value there. But I, I think Fox would really like a team like that who can talk, who could bring that to Fox, you know, on television every Friday night. So I say the Street Profits, they they got their roses. This is what they needed. Now let them go up. I think they lose. Undisputed Era takes the belts. And what is just another in the long line of great Undisputed Era matches, and it seems like they've been in NXT forever. Uh, as the tag team, and obviously as a faction, I'm in no rush for them to go up. It may look like they maybe they make a Survivor Series appearance or something, but Adam Cole has been really been pushing this. You know what? All four members will hold gold, and I believe that's true. And I believe this is where it comes into play. So we have Street Profits taking the L, Undisputed Era, taking the belts, then to complete the prophecy, Velveteen Dream versus Pete Dunne versus Roderick Strong. Pete Dunne kind of came out of nowhere in this feud, and I like it. Can never have too much Pete Dunne. So Pete Dunne adds a different dynamic. This triple threat should really go off. Everyone should really have great spots. Still, Roderick Strong is probably the most underrated wrestler in the world. Him, Ishii, we say this all the time, like, there, there's just that that group of underrated wrestlers that just don't have bad matches. And Roger Strong is one of those guys. I, I think he finds a way to pull this out. I think he beats Pete Dunne. It keeps Velveteen Dream strong. And Roger Strong walks away as the North American champion. And that's two out of three. Um, then we get the women's match, Shayna Baszler versus Mia Yim which I don't think goes as long. Great platform for Mia Yim. She's really showed that her character has depth and she has a cool dynamic. Uh, if you guys are wondering, she is definitely Bay for 2019 in NXT. 
Every year, I feel like I got to pick a new bay. Mia Yim is that. Uh, Blazing Baddie. So, such a dope gimmick. Comes out with a bandana. Her theme song is fire. I'm just hoping Keith Lee doesn't kill me and try to, like, you know, hit me with one of those monster pounces or something. Uh, <laughs> but, no, I, I think she's going to show out. I, I think she's a good, another good placeholder for Shayna, who will push her and will have a good match. But Shayna will win. And then it sets up what I thought was coming six months ago, but it's a slow burn, probably for Survivor Series weekend. Candice LeRae versus Shayna Baszler, Survivor Series weekend for that title, finally. So I, I think that's where we're headed. And then for that to happen, Shayna has to retain. So I expect that to be the outcome. Main event, Adam Cole versus Johnny Gargano. Two out of three falls match for the NXT Championship. These guys can't have a bad match, right? Like, it's it's just not possible. So when you add stipulations and two out of three falls, each fall having a different stipulation is kind of crazy. It's a lot going on there. Um, but again, if anyone can pull it off, these two can pull it off. So we have a street fight. Cole has a singles match. And I think we're still waiting on William Regal to decide the final stipulation. And which he'll probably do that night. I'm assuming he'll have something to do to let the Undisputed Era come in and sabotage Gargano. Or maybe Tommaso Ciampa makes his way back and costs Johnny Gargano. Last time we saw them, Ciampa was Team Gargano. He's all smiles and everything. But we all know, Tommaso Ciampa is a way better heel than he is a babyface. So... Let's see Ciampa and Gargano continue this feud. And a feud that many thought was over, but it's never over. It's like Peter Griffin versus the chicken. These guys are going to fight forever and then be friends and then fight. And then be friends and then fight. And I'm here for it all. So I think that's how it ends. Yes, shenanigans, but it ends with all four members of the Undisputed Era holding gold. And what a picture that is. And what a way to establish the number one faction in the company and, and really build some momentum and, and some heat behind them for whenever they do make their main roster debut and for it to mean something and to really aut automatically, first day, push Adam Cole into a main event picture. So that's that's how it should work out. We'll see if I'm right. Uh, Dre's not here to tell you that I'm wrong. So for right now, I'm just going to say that I'm right. Going into that. Uh, in the world of boxing, Canelo Alvarez is upset, stripped of his title because he couldn't come to agreement with the mandatory opponent. This means Triple G will now fight that mandatory opponent for what I believe the IBF world title. And Canelo Alvarez is a little more than mad with Oscar De La Hoya and Golden Boy Promotions, which makes me think that, you know what? The end is near for their relationship. I don't know his contract. I don't know how it's set up. If Oscar's smart, he's locked this guy in forever, ever, and ever for his entire career, and the contract is so ironclad that Canelo can never go anywhere. If there's any loopholes, I think Canelo's gone. It reminds me when Floyd Mayweather got fed up with top rank and Bob Arum. Where he was like, you know what? I'm a big enough star. I can go do this myself. I can go. I can market myself. I no longer need that platform, that company. 
or you as a promoter talking to Bob Arum. And I, I think Canelo is now realizing, like, no, I don't need Oscar De La Hoya. My contract was pretty ironclad with the zone. I can fight. I'm going to get that money regardless of who I fight. Now he can negotiate his own secondary contract after that and get even more money. Oscar De La Hoya does nothing for him anymore. He has a roster of the zone fighters and matchroom boxers and all this stuff that he can fight. Oscar really just has him with Golden Boy. So the benefits for Canelo are now few. It was a lot when they were on Showtime and the roster was deep. And yeah, sure. Now, not so much. So I think this is the first step in Canelo going into business for himself. And we'll we'll see how Oscar takes that. Because it's never easy to lose your cash cow. It really is. Oscar's not going to go down without a fight. But I think this is the first inklings of some friction between those two. And then on a different zone fighter front, Anthony Joshua, it looks like he's coming close to inking the font or finalizing his deal with Anthony Ruiz for a rematch for his titles that he lost when Ruiz stopped him and made him look like a fool. And everyone made Ruiz instantly one of the biggest stars in boxing. And now rumors have it that this rematch is going to be in Saudi Arabia. One, I didn't know that Vince McMahon had gotten into boxing, right? We we give the WWE all this crap about going and getting the Saudi Arabia cards and getting this money and how corrupt it is over there. And all that is true. And what is rumored the WWE is getting per one of these shows is astronomical. But you're pretty much selling your soul. Vince is okay with that. We're now seeing other people become okay with that. So the UFC is doing a card in the Middle East with Khabib in Dubai. There's a lot of money there. So the UFC is going there. And now we see boxing reportedly going and really looking at Saudi Arabia and getting that check. Because trust me, these gates aren't coming by ticket sales. The good patrons of Saudi Arabia, the community is not coming out and spending thousands and thousands of dollars to sit front row at these boxing matches. I'm pretty sure it's an upfront lump sum paid by the prince to see this heavyweight boxing matchup, which probably reminds them of old school Tyson because they have no form of current television over there. Uh, Obvious to him requesting wrestlers who are no longer alive. So he just sees two big men. He remembers the glory days of boxing. He wants this fight. All these tickets will be free or dirt cheap to just pack the stadium. But the lump sum will be paid by the Saudi government and the prince. And they may walk out with $50 million as a gate compared to, what, three or four here in the States. So another company, another cash grab, another Saudi Arabia show it looks like. I expect that confirmation to come down soon. Uh, I haven't been able to check in with Dre to see what his thoughts are about this. You know, uh, it's his company is close to the vest. I'm not sure if it's true. Again, we've heard rumors of it being everywhere. We heard rumors of it being in Brooklyn, and then it was going to be in the UK, kind of like close to Ireland or something. And then Ruiz was like, no, they cheat over there, and there's not drug testing. So you fight me in the U.S. And then you, Joshua comes back and says, I'll fight you anywhere. I'll fight you in Mexico. So every two days, I feel like it's a new venue 
that comes out of the blue and is proposed. So we'll see if the Saudi Arabia one sticks. If it does, it's interesting because we see yet another promotion going for this cash grab. And we see that money rules all. Money rules morality. And there's always enough money to buy these fighting organizations out of caring about morality. And that's just the truth of it. So it's it's something we have to get used to. And if this goes there, then yeah, it just shows, man. Everyone wants a piece of that bag. Everyone. And they're willing to do whatever they want for it. They'll put one of the biggest rematches in years in Saudi Arabia and say, we don't care about fans stateside watching this at all. Or in Europe at all. We care about the money. And we're going to get that money. So we'll see how that one plays out. And to finish the show, something I touched on earlier on in a segment, we saw UFC Newark this past weekend, headlined by Colby Covington versus Robbie Lawler. Let's paint the picture. Colby Covington comes out to the weigh-ins and to the press conference all throughout the week, really, with these three women that it looks like he paid very little money to accompany him around, so he looks like some type of player, some type of pimp out there. They're not having fun. You can see right through the gimmick. These aren't his girlfriends. So he has them around trying to hype up this persona. He's wearing his MAGA hat. He's carrying around an interim title that he had stripped for him over a year ago, I believe. And still, he's he's living this gimmick, right? And the more and more we see Coleman Covington, it, it just looks like he's working himself into a shoot. And I'll explain why here in a second. So let's get to the fight night, though. He comes out. He's standing across from Robbie Lawler, one of the most dangerous men in UFC history, a guy who loves blood, who loves brawling, who rarely ever has a boring fight, except this one. Robbie was paralysis by analysis. Kobe Covington did whatever he wants to Lawler. In the first three rounds, I believe he already landed 12 takedowns throughout the first three rounds. Robbie wasn't letting his hands go. Until like the final minute of that fight. It was ugly throughout. Robbie had nothing for Covington. for Covington, And Covington left with the sweep on the cards. Well deserved. Dominated a top five fighter. A former champion. Established himself as a true contender. On fighting ability. And then right after that. I mean it wasted no time. For him to get back to the shenanigans. And that's what Covington is now. And those shenanigans are what trumps, no pun intended, what he does in the octagon. Him inviting Donald Trump to the fight, Donald Trump saying he cannot come, but sending Trump Jr. and like a son-in-law, and they sit cage side and Kobe's playing it up to them the whole time, immediately go and talk to them after that. Cool, There's listen, I'm telling you this, there's no crime in that. Like, that's, that's fine. If those are your boys, if that's your affiliation, if you actually love what the Trumps stand for, if those are your guys, if you really are MAGA, then cool. That's a great honor. That's like saying, okay, Barack Obama couldn't come, but he sent a Michelle to my fight or to my game. That's dope. Nothing wrong with that. But you better really be in it. It can't just be a gimmick. You really better be a Trump guy. You really better stand for all this MAGA shit that's going on. 
and that you spew and that you back. Because you know what? There are men out there, Tyron Woodley, Kamaru Usman, the champion, which it looks like they have a date next, who aren't going to just take this as a gimmick. It reminds me, and we were on. I was on a show the other day, and it was completely correct, of Conor McGregor versus Khabib Nurmagomedov. Conor was talking this and how Khabib's families were traitors, and he knows real Russians, and they're disgraced to Russia, and he's talking about religion and all this stuff. And Khabib did not take this as just trying to sell a fight. He did not take that as a gimmick. He treated that shit like it was real life, because to him it is. And he beat Connor silly because of it. To the point at which Khabib and other people said they heard Connor say during the fight, man, I'm just trying to sell a fight. No, that's not what it is. You can't play with everybody like that. And Kobe Covington better be about that action, boss. It better not be just the gimmick. Because a lot of people think that it's not just a gimmick. And then... After that, in the octagon, Colby Covington makes an ill-sided Matt Hughes comment and joke about, oh, Robbie should have got like his friend like Matt Hughes and recognized to get out of the way when the train's coming. Matt Hughes almost lost his life getting hit by a train. Now you have guys like Jorge Masvidal, Tyron Woodley, ton of people coming out and saying, Covington's own manager, who was friends with Matt Hughes, coming out and saying, no, he went too far, or I wouldn't have said that. But that shows the depths of how far this guy would go for a little bit of clout. And then he doubled up on it on Ariel's show, refusing to apologize for it. And then he didn't stop there. He went on Misha Tate's serious radio show with Big Mac, Ryan McKinnell, and talked it up there to the point where Misha tried to call him out on it, and then he attacked Misha verbally. Try to put her business out on the streets. Try to be rude and live the gimmick till Big Mac shut his ass down. And Kobe was like, oh, I'm here to give you guys ratings. I'm here to be a big thing and draw listeners to your show. And Big Mac's like, how? Like you drew listeners to UFC on ESPN? Because you had the worst ratings ever on UFC on ESPN. And that shows, you know what? This and, and fans are seeing through the gimmick. When you are not authentic, you are not going to draw, you are not going to connect how you think you are. Kobe Covington gets flash headlines. He gets a little attention here, a little attention there. But people see it's not really him. It's not It's not real. It's a gimmick. And that's why he doesn't sell. That's why he always has to up the ante. He's like, what does it take? What would it take for me to be Conor McGregor? You can't be. Because even at his core, Conor was at least honest and true to himself. That's not a gimmick. That is who he is. That's a part of his personality turned up to the max like a pro wrestler. Good pro wrestlers aren't ones who just make a gimmick out of the blue and run with it. It's someone who takes a part of their personality, turns that shit up to 10 on the dial. That's what Conor did. That's what some. That's what Chael Sonnen did. These guys are naturally that. I think people see Colby Covington isn't naturally what he says he is. And that's why he doesn't sell. And that's also why he's going to catch an ass whooping here sooner or later. Because in MMA, 
The one guaranteed thing is death taxes. The third that comes in MMA is you're going to catch an ass whooping. So far, everyone outside of John Jones has caught that ass whooping. Somehow, some way. John Jones' ass whooping might be coming here around the corner. He keeps putting up performances like he did against Santos. Khabib has staved that off for a second, but he still doesn't have the best hands. Tony Ferguson might wake up and whoop his ass. Who knows? The ass whooping in MMA is always lurking. Kobe Covington's walking around like his isn't coming. And that's where you get blindsided with it. That's when the train hits you. And Kobe Covington is about to feel that pain. A lot of people think it's Kamaru Usman. A lot of people are hoping. A lot of people are wishing that it's going to be Kamaru Usman. Kamaru Usman hopes that it's going to be him. He wants to put a hurt on this dude. But if it isn't, trust me, many people will be lined up to put the hurt on him. You think him in there with a a Diaz bro wouldn't do something? Uh, Or a Jorge Masvidal? That's that's just itching and looking for a fight, looking for a title opportunity. You're telling me Jorge, who's not down in Miami and Cuba, he doesn't know real immigrants and real immigration? And you talking shit? Let Kobe Covington say something about a border wall. Or go back to where you came from to Jorge Masvidal. He's slapping the taste out of his mouth. He slapped that boy silly. So there's a, a laundry list, a line, Tyron Woodley. From right near Ferguson, who has seen real racial shit. To these people, it's not just a gimmick. And there just so happens to be in that division a line of people equipped and ready personally to whoop Kobe Covington's ass. So it's going to be interesting because even if Kobe wins, he has a line of three or four people waiting to just serve him ass whoopings. So it's going to be a long couple years for Kobe Covington. And that is how you work yourself into a shoot. So we'll see what comes up for him. UFC this weekend has Shevchenko defending her title, uh, which we all expect her to win because she's Shevchenko. So uh, I'm not going to dive deep into that one. Andre should be back next week. We will have a full show. We got a recap, Survivor Series recap, takeover, recap G1. Man, we're going to dive in, hopefully talk about some more music to open the show as well. Next week, we'll have boxing to preview. It's going to be packed, packed, packed. And by then, we should drop our official roster for the Wrestling with Stereotypes 2 panel at StarCast 3 in Chicago coming up at the end of August. If you guys haven't gotten your tickets out there, if you're going to be in the area, come through, chill with us. Friday night, August 30th, 6 p.m. If you guys cannot make it, it will be live on Fight TV. We are on the big stage, and dudes are doing it big. And we're going to represent for all of you guys because you guys support us, and we cannot wait to put on another show just for you guys and make sure that the world now knows about the Corner Club and how we get down and what we do and what it means to be a minority in this world that is combat sports. We're going to let our voices be heard And through that, let your voices be heard. So we appreciate it. We can't wait for that. Until then, like I said, check for that list on Patreon. We're going to have a full discussion. 
make sure you guys, we love it. Thank you for the Corner Club OGs who already signed up. We're always looking for more Patreon subscribers, dropping exclusive episodes on there every single week. We're doing one a week right now, but I want to ramp it up to two. Where it's only going to get bigger and better. We're not dialing this back. This is the beginning for the Corner Podcast. Four and a half years in, and we're just getting warmed up. We're just getting started. So this is a fun ride. We appreciate all you guys. Make sure you follow us on social media, at the Corner LSN on all platforms. Me, at Kel Dansby, the old man who isn't here right now, at Andreas Hale. We appreciate the support. Until next time, though, I'm out. The headlines remind us daily, the world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine, stop noticing, but you know better. And your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. My Patriot Supply has helped over three million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour three-month emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com.